Well, hey, good morning. It's good to see you. My name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Connect Us Church, and I'm so glad that you are joining us today for our service online. We'd love to know that you are watching, that you're here with us. Just write a comment down below. And also, a great way to get in touch with us is to go to connectuschurch.org connect and fill out your information there, and we will send you a free gift saying thanks so much for joining us, and we'd love to connect more with you. We're so glad that you're here. We're diving in to starting a new series through the book of Jonah today. And you might wonder why we're doing a series like this. And I would say that from the start of our church, we have switched back and forth between sermon series that work through a book, kind of just starting at the beginning and going all the way through. Some people call that verse-by-verse preaching or verse-by-verse Bible study. We've switched back and forth between that kind of style and picking more of a theme or an idea and then seeing the scriptures that bring that theme to light and digging into them. And, And we believe that both of those ways are helpful ways of engaging with the scriptures that are faithful to the text that are exegetical or expositional. Those are big words that just simply mean to expose or explain the text of Scripture so that we can understand it, find meaning, and apply it to our life. And so, um, I've already read through the whole book of Jonah and studied it and looked at it. And from the text, you can draw some big picture things. That's where the idea of living in light of God's plan comes from. It comes from just this whole book of Jonah, and seeing that Jonah was a man called by God, and we can learn about God, we can learn about what it means to follow God, what God does, and how sometimes people who are called by God don't always echo God's heart for people, and we see that in the story of Jonah. And so uh, you can pull out those big picture things, but we also will look at individual sections of Scripture every week and allow them to stand on their own. And we believe that God's Word is living and active, and it has a lot to say to us and our life. But we're not just coming to the text, the book of Jonah, just to learn facts and interesting things about Jonah. We want to allow the Scriptures to transform our life, to change the way that we think, to transform the things that we do and the desires that we have in our hearts. And I believe God will do that through His Word as we engage in the book of Jonah in the next several weeks. So today we start in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He brought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. 
And so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've revealed yourself and your heart to us. And Lord, may we learn what it means to follow you, to live like you, to love like you. Lord, help us to know you better today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this all starts, Jonah's story starts, when the Lord gave him this message. The Lord. Who's the Lord? If you notice in your Bible, the word might be in all capital letters. It's like somebody was typing in their capital caps lock button got stuck, right? <laughs> That's not what happened. Um, it's important to know that the Lord is a way that the English translators of the Bible translate the Hebrew word that is the name of God. Uh, we call it Yahweh, or it's just really it's four letters, Y-H-W-H. It's called the Tetragrammatron, four letters. And it's how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. And this word just simply means, I am who I am. I'm self-existent. I'm self-sufficient. That's who God is. And this word was too sacred to pronounce or say. And so uh, they never said it. And the word, the, the Y-H-W-H, didn't have any vowels. None of the Hebrew words had any vowels. And so when the scribes went to go write the, the text, and uh, they wanted to include vowels in it, they didn't know what vowels to pick. And so they picked a word that was similar called Adonai. Adonai just simply means Lord. And so they took the vowels from the word Lord and used it with the Y-H-W-H word, and so therefore we get Yahweh. <laughs> Yahweh. It's God. God gave this message to Jonah. God was the one who gave this message to Jonah. He was the son of this guy named Amittai. Jonah was a prophet. In the Old Testament, there was men who were called by God to speak for God, and oftentimes they would speak to nations, speak to kings, speak to say, hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, some good stuff's going to happen, God's going to bless you, or some things are not going to be good, and you're going to be destroyed, and the things are going to go bad. That was the prophet's job, and Jonah was a prophet. And we find Jonah in the Old Testament in one other place. He, he was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II, which was one of Israel's worst kings. And Jonah actually prophesied in his favor. And we read about this in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 25. And he said, you're going to get more territory, you're going to win some battles. And we also read from this text in 2 Kings that Jonah was from the town of Gath Hepher, which is in the northern part of Israel, around Nazareth, which is where Jesus grew up and started his ministry, which is fascinating. Uh, around the same time that Jonah was a prophet, uh, there was another prophet by the name of Amos. And he would say, instead of 
blessing and good things that God was going to do. He said in Amos chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, that um, they were going to lose their battles and things were going to be bad. And so even from the beginning, in the way that Scripture points Jonah, there's something kind of strange, kind of fishy going on about Jonah. And uh, we'll see a lot more about that in the weeks to come. And so the message that God gave to Jonah was to get up and go. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and to do what? To announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Get up and go. There's this urgency to go and do this to Nineveh. And why? Because judgment was coming and because how the wicked the city was. And God is a God of justice. He doesn't just let sin go unpunished, doesn't let nations get away with doing whatever they want to do. Right? Eventually there comes a time where sin needs to be punished. And so what we know that happens next, God told him to do these things, but what happens next is that Jonah does the exact opposite of what he's supposed to do. Uh, he goes down to Joppa, he, he gets a ticket, he gets on a boat, he sails, completely as far away he could possibly go. And then a big storm happens, and he eventually gets swallowed by a big fish. <laughs> That's the story of Jonah. And why he does this, why he doesn't go and just follow God's direction, um, the Scripture doesn't say right now. It does tell us later in chapter 4, but if there's a little bit of tension leading up to t chapter 4, then we're going to also give it some tension as well and see kind of how the story plays out. So for now, it would be helpful to know why Nineveh, right? Why is this such a big deal? Why is Jonah dealing with Nineveh? Why is he running from Nineveh? Like what, what is he, what's going on here? And no, Nineveh would certainly make anybody think twice about going there, especially if you were their enemy. And Nineveh, couple facts about Nineveh was the capital of the ancient Assyrian city located on the east bank of the Tigris River near modern-day Mosul, Iraq. Uh, Assyria was one of the main enemies of Israel and would eventually capture Israel in 721 BC. And Jonah was sent to this city in Assyria around 760 BC or about 40 years prior to their destruction. It was one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. The city was destroyed by a coalition of Babylonians, Persians, and Medes in 612 BC. And the ruins of Nineveh were lost to history until about 1850. Now, the book of Nahum also gives us prophecy about the city of Nineveh. And he said that Nineveh would be like completely destroyed. It would go into hiding, which is fascinating because Nobody ever found anything, any remains from Nineveh over all these years until 1850 when it was discovered by an archaeologist. Now, in its heyday, Nineveh was a huge city with hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. And it was just big and prosperous and trade and all this stuff. But it was also a war machine. Like... <laughs> It was crazy. They were taken over, and, and they were really brutal, really gruesome, really uh, like they had a lot of psychological warfare in the fact that they would torture and just do terrible stuff, uh, just really bad, so that when the Assyrians showed up at your town and city and said, hey, we're here to conquer you, it was like, okay, 
whatever you want, you know, do whatever you want, because I'm not letting you do that crazy stuff to me. And so, like, it was a lot. And if uh, weird stuff like that gets you uh, squeamish, maybe you want to close your eyes or not listen to the next part of the message. But it's important to know who Jonah was called to go to, the Ninevites. One of the things that they did was that they impaled their victims on large stakes. It's like, ooh. Right? It's like, you'll put it right up in your chest cavity area and then just let the weight of you, like, put you to death slowly. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, another thing that they did was that they, they, of the cities that they conquered, they would flay or, like, skin the people that they would capture, and then that they would put their skin on the walls of their city. Um, one of the kings said this, he says, I let the leaders of the conquering cities be flayed and clad the city walls with their skins. <laughs> That's a quote from one of their kings. Oh, man. Um, also, they, they forced the people that they captured to grind the bones of their ancestors. Uh, they also beheaded people and decorated trees with the heads of their enemies. Uh, they cut off every body part imaginable. Uh, don't imagine that too long. Uh, they would have like necklaces of like people's heads that they would wear. Um, yeah. Also, um, these drawings that we looked at, they all came from the same place, which is quite amazing. It was from the palace of one of their kings, Shennacherib's palace, that they found in that archaeological dig in around 1850-ish. And this picture that you see right now is, you could go see it in the British Museum right now. It's, they tried to recreate these, these inscriptions, these drawings. They, they recreated the room in which they found this in the palace of their king, in their archaeological digs. I mean, it's a huge huge room. It's like a hundred feet long, this whole uh, sketch that they have. And it's just amazing. And, and the sketch, it, it depicts, it, it tells the story of the Assyrians taking the city of Lachish, which is in northern Israel. And what's amazing about this, it's amazing about this, is that this story, if you wanted to look at the Assyrians taking over the city of Lachish, you can read about it in your Bible in 2 Kings chapter 18. So, I mean, it just should, that should blow your mind, right? Like, like some people think of the Bible as like a storybook or a fairy tale or like something that, you know, sounds good maybe, but, you know, certainly is not historical or doesn't provide any relevance or like it can't be true. And, and yet here, there's a story that was preserved throughout history uh, was found not too long ago carved into the wall of an Assyrian king's palace. Uh, blows, blows your mind. <laughs> Amazing. And so those are just some of the reasons why Nineveh, Nineveh was the place that Jonah was called to go and to preach to and to say, like, hey, destruction is coming. And probably one of the reasons why Jonah wanted to run the opposite direction. He did not want any of that crazy, terrible stuff to happen to him. And he was afraid of, like, what could happen. And certainly, you could, and Jonah could, understand 
why God would punish them, right? Why God would destroy their city, right? They do all that terrible stuff. I mean, of course, it makes total sense. But we don't have any of those same Ninevites in our world today. Like, God's not going to call you to go to Nineveh. Um, he's, he's not going to do that. So what would be helpful for us is to try to modernize it a little bit for our context. And maybe we can do that by thinking about this question. Who are your greatest enemies? Who are your greatest enemies? For Jonah, he would have said Nineveh was the huge enemy of him and his whole country. And, you know, we probably don't have a clear national enemy right now. Uh, maybe after 9-11, it could have been said that Nineveh was like the community from which the people that stole the airplanes and crashed them into the trade towers um, were from. And it would be like God was telling you to go and talk to like the people that took, did that, like talk to their parents, talk to their family. Uh, maybe God was calling you to go and talk to the king or the leader of their community, of their nation. Uh, I just, you know, I remember, and we all might remember, seeing those videos of, you know, ISIS warriors, people that were like beheading their victims. And it's like, oh. God was calling Jonah to go talk to that person. God, you know, in this sense would be calling you to go and talk to the guy in that video. Oh man, right? Wow. But today, today I don't think that we're united around a single enemy. Uh, I think everyone is generally at war with everyone that they disagree with, right? Like, maybe God's calling you to go to the people that are against what you are for. Or go to the people that are for what you're against. Or maybe... God's calling you to go to the people that you just can't believe that they voted that way. You can't believe that they believe that. You can't believe that they would do that. Like, it's, it's wrong what they're doing. It's bad. It's evil. It's sinful. And God would call me to go to them. And it's what was happening with Jonah. So, like, would you do it, right? Would you, would you take that call? And here's what Jonah did. He was called to go, and then we read that, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leading for Tarshish, and he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Jonah ran in the exact opposite direction. He didn't do anything close to what God was calling him to do. If you see the map, right, like he's going down to Joppa, and then he's sailing as far west as he possibly can to Tarshish on the side of Spain. Like he's not going northeast to Assyria, he's going west. And notice he, he bought a ticket, and he uh, went on board. Uh, like running from God is not just one big, like I'm running from God. Like it's a series of all these small little choices along the way. You buy a ticket, you get on a boat, and you, you go. Before you know it, it's, you're very far from God. And he did all of this because he was hoping that he could escape from the Lord. And most people, in one way or another, are running from God. 
I think even most Christians in one way or another are running from God. And this is a, a similar metaphor to the one that we talked about last week on Easter where the writer of Hebrews calls us to run this race that God has given us with endurance and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And yet we're running this race of life and our eyes are looking all over the place. And we're running in all the wrong directions, focused on all the wrong things. And certainly in life, when we were uh, not a follower of Jesus yet, like we didn't know any better, right? Like you're just finding meaning and purpose in whatever you think feels right. But then as you become a Christian, we still are trying to figure things out. And we're running from God in many of the same ways as we were running before, maybe for some of the same reasons or maybe for slightly different reasons, like there's some religious reasons thrown in there as well now. And certainly the world offers us a lot of different choices to, to run after and to follow after. There's a lot of different avenues to discover who you are and what makes you happy. You get caught up in the wrong people who say they're going to protect you and take care of you. You find friends that you want to fit in with and you feel good and make you feel good and feel secure. Maybe you've got a lot of problems and instead of bringing them to God, you turn to other things to numb the pain. Or maybe relationships have caused a lot of hurt and you just don't know where to turn to. And you're stuck, isolated from others. Or maybe you're like the exact opposite and you're completely dependent on others. Also, we might try to control things or we don't trust people or we live into these bad stereotypes because we just don't know any better. We do whatever we have to do to survive. We run from God in all these different ways. But you can't run from God. No matter where you go or what you do, God can find you. And so in the story of Jonah, we see that the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. He's on this boat, he's heading in the opposite direction, and God hurled this wind into the sea that caused this storm. And when I first studied this scripture in seminary, this word hurled just stood out to me and has ever since. Like it's, it's throwing, it's casting, it's it's putting it there and God is the one who's doing it. He's the one that's hurling the wind into the sea to cause the storm. And sometimes what this tells me is that sometimes the things that we perceive to be bad in our life are not always like the enemy that's doing it. It's not the devil that's doing it. It's not like I did something and so therefore something else is happening as a consequence. Like sometimes God is the one who throws this thing into my life. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking like if I stole something that I shouldn't have taken and then like I'm driving home, like I'm going to get in an accident. God's going to cause me to get in an accident because I took something and it's like this cause and effect kind of thing. And it's like, like that's, that's not always the case, right? It's not always the case that the enemy did it. It's not always the case that it's just a consequence of this. Sometimes God is trying to get your attention and he'll do whatever he has to do to do that. And he'll throw a, a storm or something that we perceive to be bad into our life to get our attention. So it's important to know and believe that there is nothing outside of God's sovereignty. Like God is in control of everything 
And that's sometimes really hard to wrap our minds around. That there is literally nothing outside of God's power. And that should give us comfort. That should be a good thing. Because in the end, he wins. In the end, he is the one that's in control. So he's the one that hurls the storm into the sea. And I don't know if that means that every bad thing that happens in your life is something that God did, but he certainly allowed it to happen. It didn't take him by surprise. It didn't overpower him. He, he allowed it for some reason. And, and we don't know which one is which, right? We don't know if God's doing this like intentionally or, or it was him that did it or if he allowed it or, or what. But here in Jonah, with God throwing this storm into the sea, it's pretty clear that's what's happening here. And so God throws the storm into the sea in verse 5. They're fearing for their lives, the people on the boat. The desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Sailors were doing everything and anything that they could do. And I love the natural reaction that they have to something big and powerful like that storm is they shout to their gods. Not the true God, not the big G God, not the real God. They're just shouting to whatever gods that they came up with. And everybody has a God. Even an atheist, an agnostic has a God. They, everyone believes in the gods. Something that they're going to cry to. Something that they're going to pray to in stressful, hard, I need help moments. Everybody has that. So the sailors are doing that. They don't know what they're doing. They're just trying. And then they got the practical thing that they're throwing cargo overboard. What's interesting is that word throw, to, to throw the cargo overboard, is the same word that is used for God throwing the storm into the sea. They're throwing the cargo into the sea. And they're trying to do anything that they can do to stay above water. You know, like lightening the boat so that it can float. But look what happens all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Jonah is sleeping and constantly in the life of Jonah. Jonah is doing exactly the opposite of what you'd expect him to do. He was a prophet, a man of God, called by God to go do something, and he's doing the exact opposite, running in the exact opposite direction, not doing anything of what you expect. And even in the most practical sense, you know, they need to lighten the ship. The storm is about to take over. Jonah's doing the exact opposite of what you would expect any normal person to do. He's sleeping. He's not helping. He's not panicking. He's sleeping. And so what happens next is that the sailor, the captain of the sailors, went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. And maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Like the sailors were doing everything that they could do, and there was the one guy who was supposed to be speaking for God, who could hear from God, who could relay God's message, and he's sleeping. And the captain's like, come on, man, like pray. Like, have you ever done that before? Pray. Talk to him. Talk to your God. Come on. You're, you're the prophet. This is what the captain of the sailors, these people that don't believe in God, is telling the man of God how to live his life, how to have a relationship with God. 
And then he says this, he says, maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And as we kick off this series in Jonah, I feel like this word is a great place to pause and consider. Maybe. Maybe there is something for me here. Maybe there is something God wants to teach me. Maybe there's a part of me that is like Jonah, and I need to learn from this. Or maybe I'm kind of like the sailors. You're like the sailors who don't really have an experience with God. You, you aren't familiar with God. You do whatever you can do to keep your life above water. You've been praying. You've been trying to figure it out. And now maybe you've gotten in touch with a church or a group of people that are pointing you to their God. And that God is like helping you in your life for the first time for the first time in a long time. Or maybe you're more like Jonah. And, and we can't miss the great irony and satire of this story. Like Jonah is the man of God. He's the prophet. And he's the one that's running from God because he doesn't like what God does. He's mad. He's angry. And like the sailors and the whole city of Nineveh, they're supposed to be the bad pagan people. They don't know about God. They don't care about God. And yet, in this story, they're the ones that humble themselves before God. They're the ones that change their ways. They're the ones that God blesses. And over the next five weeks, we'll see that this reason is exactly why Jonah is mad. Like in his mind... The sailors, the people at Nineveh, they're sinners. And sinners deserve to be punished. And he doesn't like it when they're not. He doesn't like them because they don't really like him. And they're in his town, his city, his God. And they live such horrible lives. And yet God is teaching us through this story that this kind of attitude is exactly the opposite of what God is calling his people to have. Jesus' entire ministry teaches us this lesson. He constantly interacts with the Pharisees who are like Jonah. Like you think you follow God, but you don't. And you know who does? The ones that you think are so evil, so sinful, so bad, the Ninevites, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sailors, yeah, they're they're actually the ones that are right with God. It's like, what? But God's grace and mercy is directed toward the prodigal son. The, the son in the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 that takes his father's inheritance and runs away and ruins his entire life. The father's heart, his grace, his mercy is directed towards that son. And Jonah in that story is like the, the, the elder brother in that story, and who represents the Pharisee that Jesus is talking to, who supposedly is the one on the inside, the one who is with God, the one who never leaves, the one who's doing the right thing. But Jesus is telling this story to reveal God's heart for those who are lost. God is telling the story to the Pharisees to reveal to them that just because you think that you're there with God, you're okay with God, you're right with God, you're trying to do the right thing, 
doesn't mean that you actually are because God's grace and his mercy is running after directed towards the prodigal son who runs away and ruins his entire life and so just some reflection questions as we end our time together today the beginning of Jonah number one are there groups of people that I think deserves God's justice and not his mercy are there groups of people that I think deserve God's justice and not his mercy number two have I moved from being thankful for God's grace like the prodigal son to being skeptical of God's grace for others or like the elder son maybe God has caused a storm in your life to help you realize that you are running from God what was or is that storm and were you more like the sailors who were humbly searching for God in whatever way they knew how to do it or were you more like Jonah pridefully pushing God's grace away for people who you don't think deserve it consider those questions and I look forward to continuing our study with you through the book of Jonah in the next several weeks. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you later.